Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 10, Augustus Henry Fitzroy, the aristocrat who did not want a tea tax. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is the series here on Long History where we take our UK Prime Minister literally at random and then ask a few questions such as how did they get in office, what did they achieve in office and what led to them leaving office. We also give a bit of a background about the times and look at a few of the issues that might have been around in those days. We've covered quite a few Prime Ministers now, so I'm sure if you're interested there'll be lots to explore on your podcast provider, but they're all also available on our website longhistory.net. So in this week's episode, we've got another of those stopgap Prime Ministers, this one being quite a scandalous one actually, and this was actually the last Prime Minister in the 1760s, which was the decade before the United States declared its independence from Great Britain. So despite his brief time in office, there's lots to say about this man, so let's get going with this week's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 10, Augustus Henry Fitzroy. Many of the Prime Ministers that we cover have a title of some sort, and so we've taken the policy of only referring to them by their name as opposed to their title. However, of all the Prime Ministers so far, this is the one who's perhaps best known by his title, which was the Duke of Grafton. And if that title makes him sound like a crumbly old man, he was in fact the second youngest Prime Minister to reach office. He enjoyed the pursuits of many of the landed gentry of the age, he was interested in horse racing and hunting, both of which enabled him to move in the well-connected circles of his class. In fact, of all the Prime Ministers covered by long history, at least so far, he's the best connected of all, being directly related to a king, as we'll see. And in doing the research for this episode, This Prime Minister seems to divide opinions, not in a controversial way, but one type of biography emphasises the scandals that made up his time in office, whilst others gloss over the details of this scandalous life, whilst unable to hide them altogether. One thing that all these biographies have in common, however, is that they seem to struggle to find any superlatives for this man. He was only in the job for 15 months, And more than any of those kind of accidental Prime Ministers, he seemed to fall into the job, as we'll explain. And before we get started, it is quite remarkable that for one of the short-lived stopgap Prime Ministers, he has quite a number of standout achievements. I'm not sure if achievement is the right word. He was the second youngest to enter office as Prime Minister, but he was actually the youngest to leave office, being only 35, so he had a full life ahead of him when he left the job. He was the first divorced Prime Minister of three in total, and he's the first Prime Minister to be divorced and remarry in office. Only two Prime Ministers have done that. And like it or not, it's the scandals involving that divorce that make this Prime Minister stand out. What was he like? Well, Augustus Fitzroy didn't seem well suited to upper levels of politics. He seems to have been a laid-back, aristocratic type who ended up being Prime Minister despite his youth and possibly because of it. And if he was criticised, it's because he preferred to enjoy himself rather than focus on his political role. Now we've mentioned that he was famously young when he took office, and these scandals we've mentioned are perhaps as much due to his age as his personality. He was married to Anne Little in 1756 at the age of 21. They had three surviving children, but by 1764, age 29, 
Fitzroy was having an affair with a woman commonly known as Nancy Parsons, who was apparently born with the name Anne Parsons, and had the background as a woman who... Hmm, who gave intense pleasure to upper-class men. Shall we say to put it delicately. One particular standout scandal was when Fitzroy took this mistress to the opera when Queen Charlotte, the Queen herself, was present, something which was seen as beyond the pale. It was when Fitzroy found out that his wife was pregnant by her own lover, however, that he had a pretext to get divorced in 1769, aged 34, whilst in office as Prime Minister. He then married Elizabeth Rottersley three months after his divorce, and then had another nine surviving children with her. So we can see that this is a man who was not averse to personal scandal, but it's possibly telling that he remained married to his second wife until his death in 1811, after 42 years of marriage, perhaps suggesting that the scandals of his premiership were more down to age than anything else. The historical background when you are part of an age when there is stability in the top job, it's easy to think that such a situation is typical. In the UK, for example, this happened in the 1980s, which is synonymous with Margaret Thatcher, or in the late 90s and early 2000s when Tony Blair was the Prime Minister. These seem to be in charge forever. However, there's another type of not uncommon period in history, as happened recently from 2013 to 2023, for example, when the UK had a quick series of five Prime Ministers. Sometimes politics right at the top seems to turn into something of a mud-flinging competition, and it all seems a bit of a mess, but there is some sense amidst those rapidly changing Prime Ministers. And perhaps that period is mired by controversy, or some irresolvable issue, or just some kind of apathy. And this weird mix seems to have been the case in the 1760s, when there was another decade of up to seven Prime Ministers this time, depending on how they accounted, Augustus Fitzroy was the last of the short-term Prime Ministers before Frederick North took up the job and stayed in the role for 12 years. This was the decade before the Revolutionary War, and then the 13 colonies of the future United States declared their independence from Great Britain in 1776. This key issue is perhaps the reverse of the problems of the late 2010s. In the latter period, the UK was debating its break from Europe, while towards the end of the 1760s, when Fitzroy took office, the issue was the 13 colonies breaking away from Great Britain. There were plenty of other problems at home as well, however. The United Kingdom at the time. So we had a period of instability in the 1760s. This began with the crowning of a new king, George III, in 1760 itself. This new king was apparently keen to sweep away the old guard, partly contributing to the destabilisation of who was at the top in that decade. Other issues, however, included years of inflation caused by poor crops. The average weekly wage for agricultural labourers in 1770 averaged at, according to one figure we found, just over six shillings per week. That's £26.09 in today's money, or $31.90 at today's exchange rate. It's interesting looking at a list of the major cities at the time and how that's changed over the years. In those days, Bristol was the second largest city in the country, having 45,000 people. Port cities such as Bristol, London and Liverpool at the time had significant black populations, adding up to 15,000 people in the late 18th century. 
the United States at the time. Well, of course, we're talking about the 13 colonies in that particular decade, and the 1760s were dominated by taxation of the colonies. In 1766, a controversial Stamp Act was repealed, which had caused much controversy by imposing taxes on various goods in the 13 colonies to make them supposedly pay for themselves. However, just as this act was repealed, the British managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory by passing another act to legitimise the right of the British to tax its colonies and to assert their laws if they chose to do so. This did not go down well across the Atlantic. The British couldn't leave the subject alone and in 1767, just before Fitzroy came into office, the British imposed some new taxes, with the tax on tea proving ultimately the most consequential. Grafton apparently hadn't supported this particular tax during his time in government, but things did not go his way, with a few notable consequences for world history. This tax on tea became a point of pride between the British and the future United States. Who could vote? We like to ask that question to look at the evolution of democracy over the years, and it's sometimes overlooked, but the same issues that would lead to the US Declaration of Independence and possibly even the French Revolution in the 1780s, were also stirring in Great Britain at that time. Many people in the country wanted better parliamentary representation. With representation at that time being limited to landed gentry and aristocrats, despite the growth in power of the industrial cities, only aristocrats and the landed gentry had any say at that time, a situation which would prompt the 13 colonists to leave Great Britain However, back in Great Britain, the same issues were in place, and it would be some years before there was any attempt to resolve them. What was Augustus Fitzroy's background? He's certainly the most aristocratic of the Prime Ministers we've looked at so far, his great-great-grandfather being the fun-loving Charles II. This king had given one of his illegitimate sons the title of Duke of Grafton, and Augustus Fitzroy inherited the title directly from his grandfather, the second Duke of Grafton, becoming the third Duke himself. This was due to the premature death of his uncle and his father, who'd both been in line to inherit the title. Amongst the many aristocrats and landed gentry who rose to the role of Prime Minister, therefore, particularly during those days, Fitzroy, the name itself means King's Son, is one of the most well-connected of all. He lived a typically aristocratic life, not appearing to be particularly ambitious. This meant that his education involved a Swiss tutor and a grand tour of Europe, but he also studied at the University of Cambridge. He entered Parliament in 1756 at the age of 20, representing a rotten borough, a borough of that time which counted so few voters amongst its electorate that it could therefore easily be bought or inherited. After the early deaths of his father and his uncle, he inherited that title when his grandfather died. This meant that just a year after he'd entered the House of Commons, he was sent to the House of Lords, the other of the two chambers in British Parliament. As the 1760s began, along with that series of rotating premierships, Fitzroy doesn't appear to have stood out particularly as an ambitious man, Really, we could perhaps say that he was fulfilling a role befitting of a man with his status, while having the life of a wealthy man in his late twenties and early thirties. How did Fitzroy become Prime Minister? 
Now, it's very convoluted here, but in 1665, three years before Fitzroy became Prime Minister, George Grenville was in the top job. However, he'd fallen out of favour with the King, particularly because of his attempts to impose one of those taxes on the American colonies. It was called the Stamp Act. Charles Watson Wentworth replaced him in July 1565 and repealed that Stamp Act due to controversy from the colonies. And that's when Fitzroy came into the picture. He took part in negotiations that led to the departure of Grenville and his replacement by Charles Watson Wentworth. Fitzroy himself was very much a part of this set of people, knowing all the main players, including Pitt the Elder and Watson Wentworth. At that particular point with this new administration, Fitzroy was given his first job in government, that of Secretary of State for the Northern Department. However, this Charles Watson Wentworth's administration also did not last long, and the King attempted to replace him with the much more popular war leader, Pitt the Elder. However, Pitt the Elder was a bit sickly and didn't particularly want the job. Eventually, he reluctantly took it, but his illness dominated his time in office. During the reluctant negotiations to take up his job, Fitzroy ended up in the role of First Lord of the Treasury, which is usually a title given to the Prime Minister. So Pitt the Elder was officially the Prime Minister at this time, but I think it's fair to say that Fitzroy was being lined up for the succession. Perhaps Pitt the Elder wanted a young man in charge in contrast to him. Almost accidentally, therefore, and by default, when Pitt proved unenthusiastic in the role, staying away from the capital as he suffered from ill health, Fitzroy found himself by default taking on the responsibilities that went with the job, until it was all but officially given to him by October 1768. That particular moment appears to have happened when Pitt, this predecessor, resigned one of his titles and effectively handed Fitzroy this job by default. Just over two years after Pitt the Elder had taken up the job, therefore, Fitzroy found that he'd taken over the title of Prime Minister, at the age of 33. What were Fitzroy's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well, as we've said, he was kind of a Prime Minister by default more than anything, and Fitzroy's time in office was mired in controversy, particularly on that personal level. He was hounded by the press, and a series of resignations while Fitzroy was in the job, meant that he lost his own will to continue in the job. It doesn't sound like he was reluctant to hand the reins over to someone else. He'd never fought for the job, and he didn't fight to keep it. Why did Fitzroy stop being Prime Minister? Well, this would be another of those brief premierships, this time only 15 months, with the government rarely gaining enough majorities to gain any traction at all. Any confidence in the administration was undermined by this harsh criticism from outside. Eventually, the king persuaded yet another man to take up the job. This would be one of history's most famous prime ministers, Frederick North, who was in charge during the time when the 13 colonies, that future United States of America, declared their independence. So, why should we remember Augustus Fitzroy? Well, with only 15 months in the top job and a relatively quick departure from the higher echelons of politics after that, the only thing that makes Fitzroy stand out really is that he was Prime Minister at all. Other than that, unfortunately, he's memorable for all the wrong reasons, perhaps. For these scandalous relationships, for getting divorced and remarried at a time when these things were very rare. 
He was a young man, very wealthy, very well connected and was perhaps looking for a purpose, but he doesn't seem to have found it in this direction. Perhaps the most memorable thing about Fitzroy politically is the way he got to the top. He's a particular example of a well-connected person who got to the job even though he didn't seem to really want it or to be up to the job when he got it. It isn't really the only time that this has happened, and perhaps it's a case in point that when leaders rise to the top in this way, it doesn't really result in great leaders. Perhaps there's some exception. It seems to be more of a sign of a lack of ideas from the establishment, which is grasping around for someone new to take the top job in the hope that they'll be better than expected when they're in the role. Of course, we don't have to learn something or even anything from these prime ministers, but perhaps we can see here that youth in itself and well-connectedness aren't good enough reasons to get the top job in themselves. And although it's not what you know, it's who you know, well, what you know is quite important as well. In terms of the man himself, well, he did stand up and do what he was asked to do. He did the top job. I think at the time there was a certain type of aristocrat who went into politics as some sort of burden of duty to justify their existence. He was quickly relieved of that burden. And he also left the upper echelons of politics quite quickly, so perhaps acknowledged himself that this wasn't the role for him, but he did give it a try. So there you go. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. As always, I like to stress that this is just a quick summary. And as I said, with this particular Prime Minister, the biographies do vary a lot. So perhaps there's a completely different take altogether on this particular life. And as always, I just see this as a starting point, a springboard, so you can bring in your own research if you're interested in this particular Prime Minister. I hope you enjoyed that and please do like it and share it if you can to help promote it. Don't forget, we've got lots of these episodes available now. They'll be there on your podcast provider or they're all collected on longhistory.net. Thanks again for listening. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 10, Augustus Henry Fitzroy. Goodbye.